Welcome to Beer Net Radio. Listen to on every continent except Antarctica. B double E R R N E T N E T Beer. Hello. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm at my parents' house, and I'm trying to find that works a real spot that nobody will come rolling up beside me and have questions <laughs> that I can't answer. <laughs> oh man, I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, as you can see, I'm uh, got my old studio concept back because. Uh, you know, Biscuit was complaining that she didn't have enough camera time. Clearly. And uh, and I'm, I'm thinking now that I'm in a golf shirt that maybe that's not my play because the way my recliner is, I have to kind of sit back. And so my man booze and my gut just hang out <laughs> it, like in full silhouette. For those watching at home, I'm sorry. I'll try and sit up a little bit. Okay, it's a busy pattern. It, it is a very busy pattern. <laughs> they tell me that's what's it. Sorry. <laughs> He's looking at you like, what the hell? <laughs> so, um, Jen and Jordan are not uh, on this call, right? Right. Okay, good. Because I think I've <laughs> uncovered a scandal, a cabal, an okay. intrigue, if you will. So I'm on the edge of my seat. Yes, you should be. Um, we started this podcast about a year ago. And, you know, I wanted it to sound good. So I sent everybody expensive microphones. Now, you never even bothered to pretend to use your microphone, which I, I kind of give you props <laughs> for that. Like you just said, you know what? I think I used it twice. <laughs> yeah, you were like, I have a lot going on. And guess what? Head, head plugs with a mic in it work just as well. I mean, maybe not just as well, but you're 90% there. Okay. So. I have a, had a suspicion that Jen and Jordan pretend to use their microphones <laughs> and they're just using their headphones as the microphone. So I went back and looked at the last podcast and uh, you, if you're watching at home on YouTube, you'll see it right here. This image is you can see Jordan has his sure microphone like I have. And as you can see, I have two wires coming from my microphone. One, the red one goes to the camera and this, you know, to record. And then this blue one goes to my ears so I can hear you and me talking so I can kind of modulate my volume. See how that works? Yes. And as you can see on Jordan's uh, uh, microphone, he only has one wire coming from it. And it, we don't know where it goes. It just probably just goes under the table. And the dog plays with well, it. Well, it should connect to the computer. Right. We don't know that, right? But his <laughs> his headphones are not plugged into the microphone. As you can see, they're plugged into the computer. So the, in other words, the microphone is just a dummy. And I, <laughs> so he, he doesn't know that I've discovered this, by the way. This is my own sleuthing because, you know, I have so much time on my hands. That investigative journalist in you. That's right. And so then I thought, for sure, for sure, Jen doesn't use her microphone either, right? <laughs> Just knowing Jen, you know, she's not a big technology person. And so I went and did a little more investigation. And it turns <laughs> out that Jen is actually using her microphone correctly. I was in, 
And the only reason I know that is because a lot of times when she wants to be heard, she'll go, she'll reach in like this and mm-hmm. talk to the, you know, because I talk yeah. over her a lot. So anyway, that's, that's my scandal. I'm going to be, of course, confronting Jordan on it because <laughs> Lies on stacked on lies. And I thought maybe it was a conspiracy that y'all were all ganging up. And but it turns out that <laughs> that that you I know didn't care that and you just didn't pretend. Jen actually did it. And now we know the least likely <laughs> sneaky one out of the bunch. We have to keep an eye on this. Gotta watch Jordan. the quiet ones. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, uh, I'm glad you had these guys at Sagamore on here. Um they are a pretty cool story, actually. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm eager for you to, to introduce them. You know, they're the Maryland distiller and, you know, it's grain to glass and they've been working on this for many years and we'll let them talk about it. So um, I'll go ahead and let them in, Sarah, and, uh, and you can, uh, and Biscuit, I don't, I don't want you interrupting like last time. Jesus, this dog, she gets very excited. Hey, Brian. Uh, welcome to the Beer Net Radio podcast featuring our spirit company. I love it. Hello, Brian. Uh, <laughs> I'm Harry. Thanks for being on. Thanks and, uh, for having me, and, and, and Biscuit welcomes you as well. It's okay. It's Biscuit power napping right now. She, she is power nap. Now time for her mid-afternoon nap. So yeah, yeah, we're going to be good for a little while. Then. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Joining us today, we've got Brian Treacy, the co-founder and president of distillery operations at the Maryland-based Sagamore Spirit. Um, So thanks, Brian, for for coming on today. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Definitely. So, um, you know, first, I'd love to just have you give the, you know, elevator pitch kind of of who Sagamore Spirit is for those who may not be as familiar with the the brand or company. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're uh, a distillery based in, in in downtown Baltimore, Maryland, who's laser focused on uh, reviving Maryland style rye. So a lot of folks may not know that, you know, Maryland has a rich history of distilling the goods back 15, 1600s, but eventually by the 1700s, you know, it, you know, it turns to nothing but rye whiskey. And um, as, as time goes from there, Maryland really earns a reputation as, as a superior rye whiskey. You fast forward to 1910, we have 44 distilleries in, in the state, uh, 22 in downtown Baltimore. We keep distilling through prohibition. And uh, it's one of the reasons Maryland's earned the, the title, the name Free State. And then eventually uh, we switch over to ethanol production to help support the efforts of World War II and didn't really make much of a comeback after that. And the last distillery closed its doors in the early 1980s and sold that off to um, a Kentucky distillery called um, Heaven Hill that bought the the brand name Pikesville Rye, but yet what we always thought was interesting is that Maryland had such a reputation as, as such a great rye whiskey that, you know, for decades, the brand and the identity of Maryland style rye lived on without anybody doing it. So we saw that as a great opportunity based here in Baltimore, Maryland, to go ahead and help bring that back and get Maryland back on the map as known as a, as a place that makes great rye whiskey. I mean, it seems like to me, everybody moved to corn for a lot of reasons, subsidies, and we know all that, the, the reasons why. And is that kind of uh, led to the demise of rye in that area? Yeah, it definitely didn't help. You know, uh, the fact that um, corn was heavily subsidized and, uh, you know, and rye never was. And so that certainly didn't help that, that at all. Um, and then, you know, uh, sometimes flavor profiles change and, and taste change and trends come and go. Um, and so it was just, there was several things that really kind of 
led to it and, and less and less producers making it as they started making something that was more cost effective. Awesome. Well, yeah, it's interesting how much history there is there. Um, and you guys have quite the uh, kind of distillery destination. We do. You know, we we um, we built it in the middle of the city for a reason. You know, we wanted it to be a destination. We wanted to be conveniently located, and easy to get to. So uh, we're very lucky to have a five acre waterfront distillery located right in the middle of downtown Baltimore. Uh, we are just a couple of minutes away from Camden Yards, M&T Bank Stadium. Uh, we're just, I mean, just a short distance at 200 yards as a bird flies from I-95, where, you know, 42 million cars a year drive by our distillery. Downtown Baltimore, the Inner Harbor, the aquarium, all those things conveniently located to uh, five, ten minutes from BWI Airport. So really put ourselves in a place where we could be accessible um, because one of the things we really want to do as far as the brand go is, is really kind of get known for hospitality and kind of activation and engagement. Really, we thought it'd be a great idea to build a distillery in downtown Baltimore, so we were very accessible for that storytelling. Fantastic. Um, and I also want to touch on you guys brought on a new CEO last year. Um, so how's, well, right, Michael Mazursky, um, how's, how's he kind of settling in? Has he shaken things up a bit, or was it just kind of a moving forward as, as planned? No, it was, it was, it's a great addition to the team. Michael's done a great job settling in. He's a great addition to the team. You know, we um, got spent five years getting this, this brand off the ground. The team has done an amazing job of getting it to where it is today, but really kind of leaning on somebody with, you know, gosh, almost 40 years of industry type experience to help us get to the next level is really important to us. And so Michael was a great fit for that. You know, he comes from um, Edrington, uh, where you work closely with brands like McAllen, obviously, Highland Park, and uh, uh, Wyoming Whiskey. So he was a good fit for us, and, you know, it's going to help us get to the next level. So we're very excited to have him. The latest news, though, is that you're taking the, um, you know, your line of canned cocktails nationwide. So kind of tell us about this initial launch of the lineup and, and maybe why you're taking it nationwide now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very exciting time for us. We're really excited about the opportunity and what the team has created. Um, so, you know, we spent the first five years is obviously very focused in on just straight rye whiskeys. You know, we have a core product line of our straight rye, double oak, and cash drink, all highly awarded uh, rye whiskeys, double gold in San Francisco, 95, 96 point ratings. So uh, they've got quite the reputation. And, um, but we thought, you know, is there an opportunity to really kind of take that and put that premiumization into a can? And uh, for a few different reasons, you know, can we connect with a, cons a newer consumer, get the consumer maybe into our ecosystem that wasn't necessarily ready to start drinking rye whiskey, but didn't realize the versatility of it um, and kind of give the ability to show how, um, how easy it is and how many different ways it can taste and, and through really premium canned cocktails. And the other side, too, is, is kind of just wherever the day may take you, right? And so there's, there's a lot of opportunities that we weren't necessarily going to be part of an occasion. So, you know, whether it's a golf course, a boating, beach, pool. So taking this canned cocktail and creating it and bringing an ultra premium rye whiskey canned cocktail to the market uh, has been very exciting and it's been very, very well received. So we did start small in our backyard last year, kind of Maryland, and that's pretty standard for us. We like to do that. We like to understand, you know, how it's getting merchandised, how it's being received by the consumer you know, really focus in on the quality and the feedback of the product and make sure we're very happy and content with it before we kind of roll it out to a bigger um, audience. And so 
it was very, very well received, um, sold through very quickly, a little quicker than we expected, but there's worse problems to have. And so we're excited that we're able to scale it up this year and bring it out um, uh, nationally. And so we're going to be in a lot of the same markets that we currently have our core products in, you know, and show folks the versatility of rye whiskey, the approachability of it. Uh, and again, it put us in an occasion that we might not normally be part of if we just sold bottles of, of whiskey. So we're very excited about it. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah. And mm-hmm. oh, sorry, Harry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, I always forget to take myself off mute. You would think, you know, this is, I think this is what our 90th podcast, but you know, still learning. Live uh, and learn. Live and learn. It's, can you tell us about your route to market for the canned cocktails? Is it the same distributor network that you're using for the whiskey? It is um, and, and great question because, but the reason it works out so well for us is since the base is a spirited cocktail and the base ingredient is rye whiskey, same as obviously our core line, um, that it lines up really well with our, our, our current distributors. And so, um, so we're excited about that. And one of the reasons it kind of made it fairly easy for us to move nationally when we were ready uh, is because we already had those relationships in place. Uh, people that were very familiar with our product and our sales team and our brand and our marketing team. And so it allowed us to move quick, which is great. No, that makes a lot of sense with the spirit-based product. And it's the uh, slightly higher ABV, right? It's more, not quite like a full strength cocktail, but that like eight or 9%, right? We do. We hover around between seven and 9% depending on um, the canned cocktail. So we rolled out, um, we have uh, one that's kind of a riff on a classic cocktail, the Honey Paloma. Um, and so, you know, uh, ruby red grapefruit, um, agave, um, obviously honey, and then uh, straight rye whiskey. And so that one, I believe, is 8%. Um, then we have a lemon tea fizz, uh, which is uh, Meyer lemon, user green tea. And uh, that is actually closer to 9%. And then we also have one, we have a couple new flavors coming out, which we're really excited about. We have what we call a pineapple riarita. Um, which is a really nice light sipper, if you will. It's been, you know, these are all organic ingredients, um, natural ingredients. They're actually ingredient names you recognize and can pronounce, which we love. Uh, so it's been very well received by that. And the rye reed is going to be 7%. And so that's a, that's a beautiful one. That It's a light sipper, you know, organic lime juice, pineapple juice, agave syrup, and a little hint of, of chipotle in it for just like a little bit of, hint of, of smoke and spice in there. And so um, it's exciting. Then we also have one that's kind of more of a local um, riff, if you will, and we'll stay here in Maryland. Uh, Maryland's kind of famous for a cocktail that was invented in Ocean City, Maryland, called the Crush. And so this is orange, lemon, lime juice, um, natural orange flavoring, and that hovers around 8% as well. And so that's a new exciting one. And then lastly, we have our, our what we call is a spin on a watermelon. Uh, sour, if you will, we call it our night bright. Uh, or excuse me, we call it our night brunch punch, and um, and that one is, I believe, seven and a half percent. Interesting. Okay, yeah, that is a bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> night, night, swi- night f- biscuit. Will you help us? Biscuits asleep. Sorry, she's on her now late afternoon nap. Uh, it, it. How are you uh, line pricing these? Uh, They're four pack currently. Typically, you're seeing them for around fifteen dollars or so, fifteen ninety nine. Obviously, it can vary a little bit from market to market, but that's what we've been shooting for. And then we're, uh, we're excited to be coming out with the six-pack variety pack um, in just a couple of weeks as well. That will be uh, 19 dollars Gotcha. And, you know, using the whiskey base, 
I imagine helps you kind of stand out in the kind of sea of RTDs where it's, you know, we see mostly the vodka or you just kind of a clear spirit base. So is there, are people okay with that? Like, do they feel weird with whiskey in a can or do they, are they okay with it? I think people are actually loving it because they're excited about it. Because like you're saying, there's, there's actually a void in the space. Despite all those flavors out there, you're not seeing a lot of uh, whiskey-based cocktails, especially on like a national level. You're seeing the vodka-based, you're seeing a lot of malt-based, those types of things. And um, so, and then to see it at such a premium level, where it's like you're using a straight rye whiskey, we're not using unaged spirit or white dog or anything like that. We're actually using aged whiskey, which is, is really kind of unique and different. And then seeing those premium um, uh, ingredients. So what we're seeing from folks is one, it's it's kind of people like, I've always been a little curious about whiskey. And then, uh, but you know, I wasn't ready to drink it maybe neat or something. And I was intimidated by it. So now they're get able to drink these and say, well, that, I can drink whiskey. This is great. It's, it's approachable. It's fun. Um, and then those that, that do love whiskey are like, this is great because I do love whiskey. Um, but, you know, at one o'clock in the afternoon on the beach, I might not be ready for, for a, a pour of meat, right, at, at 90 proof or 100 proof. But grabbing something cold out of the cooler at 7, 8% ABV, be able to just sip on it. Um, people are thrilled. So we're seeing them being very well received and the convenience and again, the quality level. We were fortunate enough to team up with a group of, of kind of legendary local bartenders, mixologists here in Baltimore called Kane Collective. And we really sat down them with them. They've known our brand and our product for since day one and really kind of sat down and conceptualized what we could be doing and, and how well they work together. You know, we didn't just rush out to a flavor house or anything along those lines. You know, we really worked closely with a couple of bartenders that know how to make great cocktails. And that was the goal. Like, how do we make a really great tasting cocktail um, that's flavorful, approachable, um, you know, and enjoyable and no weird aftertaste or anything like that. So it's taken us a long time to bring these to market. Um, but we think taking our time and having the patience and doing the quality checks on that was incredibly important. And we're seeing them be really well received. because. Of yeah, that seems like it would be difficult. Uh because like you can know anybody can go to a, a flavor house and then a co-packer and you know it's kind of ma like magic but if you're doing it organically with your own uh your own dog food to uh, to, to use a, a uh you know y y you have to source all these different ingredients and get them to the co-packer i would imagine that is very complex and expensive and do you anticipate uh the presence of these rtds uh of having a halo effect upon uh, your rye whiskey core product and vice versa we do we do um again i think a lot of folks um going to tap into a new customer a customer that may not have discovered rye whiskey maybe for a couple more years in their in their journey um so can we bring them into the ecosystem a little bit sooner and then get them introduced to our core products a little bit sooner as well and I, again you know i think for some it, whiskey can still be intimidating you know others not so much obviously it's had a great run it's growing like crazy so a lot of folks are getting into it, which is very exciting for us. But for us to show that, you know, it doesn't have to be drank neat. You can mix it with stuff. It's your cocktail. Enjoy it. It can be very approachable. It can be enjoyable. Um, I think it's really important. And that was kind of the focus for us. And I think eventually as, as taste buds and, and kind of move on through that journey, they'll eventually move up through into our, our straight rye and double oak and eventually cash strength and then to the reserve series, you know. I think they'll kind of grow up through our portfolio um, as their tastes evolve. Right. And is 
is there, and I'll, and I'll shut up Tara, but my last question is, um, you know, how important is uh, the DTC component to this uh, or is it important at all? The DTC is, um, you know, it's obviously something that's gotten to be very interesting in the last couple of years. I think COVID really changed that. We haven't seen where we think DTC has not been a focus for us on canned cocktails, I'll say, because shipping and, and, and costs right now in shipping make it a little bit prohibitive. And that's one of the reasons we want to be as in many markets as we can. So it's just accessible at your local um, uh, liquor store, independent chain, whatever it may be. So we haven't really focused on DTC. Our focus has really been on distribution and, of course, building out the quality of the product themselves on product development. Perfect. And so what's kind of the marketing push behind behind the rollout? We, we're kind of running with, uh, you know, uh, wherever the day may take you. Because it's funny, you know, it's just it's like life has got to be about convenience. Uh, and But convenience shouldn't come at a cost of being, you know, not high quality. And so we're really kind of leaning on that, that this is convenient, but it's really high quality. Um, and, uh, and then just making them accessible. I think that's incredibly important. So for us, the most important thing, because it's getting busy out there, there's no doubt about it. So how can we get to events? How can we be part of, of some sort of activation where we can actually engage with the, the consumers, tell them a little bit about the approach we took to design these, develop these, that we didn't rush it. This has been several years in the making. And and then get that liquid to lips, if you will. I know that's something we always hear, but it's funny because every time I get somebody tried to go, oh my gosh, these are really, really good. Where, you know, and that even goes for our distributors. Some distributors have said, oh, we're, we're, we're overloaded with these right now. You know, we're not quite ready. And then we'll say, I'll say to the person on our team working with them, I said, did you, did you have them try them? And they said, no, I didn't. I said, go back and have them try them. And then as soon as they try, they're like, we got to figure out how to get these in here. These are really good. And so for us, the big part is just that the thing we've always done since day one, uh, that handshake brand, getting out there. You know, people are ready to engage again, and we want to be there at whatever farmer's market, activation, event we can be, where we get a chance to get people to try them and share the story of our who Sagmore Spirit is and the product development behind it liquid to lips man it's it's an expensive way to do it but it's it's still the best way if your product is high quality and uh, what is your uh, history brian how did you get into this and and w what's your story i was hoping you weren't gonna ask um, <laughs> <laughs> um a little unconventional but i think you know and then again the more and more I, I talk to people maybe not so much but to be perfectly honest um i kind of came in from an entrepreneurial side um and so uh, before I was doing this, I actually owned uh, a backpacking and kayaking company in the Grand Canyon, Arizona, Southern Utah, Yosemite. So I, but what I see similarities there is, is, you know, folks would come out and go on our adventures and, and the goal when they're on our adventures to provide them a lasting memory and an amazing experience and the best hospitality you could for the next four, five, 10 days while you're on the trail or on the, on the water. And I think Sagmore's taken a very similar approach. Like we offer them the best experience in a glass bottle or can. And while they're visiting our distillery or any type of event or experience we're doing, we offer them the best experience and hospitality while they're with us. And so, you know, overall the philosophies a lot of times are the same. Maybe the product's a little bit different, but um, I didn't come from the spirits industry. Um, I just kind of came from starting businesses before, but I'm thrilled to be here. I feel very lucky to be here. Uh, and I work with the, the greatest people in the industry, in my opinion. 
and I've surrounded myself with a lot of people with a lot of that are very very smart and a lot of experience. So I just listen and and uh, and help contribute where I can. <laughs> uh, that's great. And and Rob, don't think I haven't seen you up there. Is that you, Rob? Yes. Hi, Harry. Hi, Biscuit. Oh, <laughs> okay. Can't see your name, bro. But anyway, I just wanted to say hello uh, to you as well. Always but, nice to see uh, you guys. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Sarah, uh, you can uh, you can take her home if you like, as they say. Yeah, I think I just have one more uh, question that I kind of kind of wrap up. Um, you know, you talked about this being the accessibility point for a lot of newer consumers. So I'm curious how you think about pulling them through the portfolio, kind of what's, you know, how do you move them from the canned cocktail to trying the rye itself? Is that something you think they'll just kind of explore on their own? How are you kind of pushing that? Or how do you think about it that way? I think, um, I don't think it's anything, uh, we're not worried about rushing that or we don't have a timeline on that. I think it's a journey that happens organically. But I think what we show them is, is, you know, I've talked to a lot of people that say, I, I, I don't drink whiskey or I wouldn't drink rye whiskey. And, and then even with our core products that we have today with our Maryland style, um, using two mash bills. And when we have people try, you know, our signature straight rye whiskey and say, you know, I'll be at a tasting and they'll, they'll say, well, I don't drink whiskey. I'll say, well, give this one a whirl. Or I don't drink rye. You know, I'm at a tasting. It's free. You know, you just try it. And they're like, well, that's much better than I ever imagined. That's actually really good. That's easy to drink. So it, it's, it's getting them just to change a little bit of the mindset. Maybe, what they've had before they didn't like um, or, you know, they're just still intimidated. So getting them into a category and saying, I do like those canned cocktails. Maybe I've, maybe I've been, you know, a little over judgmental. And, and I think from there it can go into an old fashioned, it can go into a Manhattan. And then I think it, it eventually continues down the path and some may never get away from cocktails. That's all right. They're, they're drinking rye whiskey cocktails. So we've, we've always said, I don't really, care how you drink Sagamore rye. It's it's your drink. You know, people ask, do you drink it? It doesn't have to be neat. Does it have to be on the rocks? Does it have and it's I've always said it's your drink. If you're enjoying it, then it's the proper way to drink it. And so um some may just always stay with the cocktails. Some may eventually be drinking um neat cash drink. You just don't know where where the journey will take you. But I think people love the journey because it's interesting. There's a romance to it. There's the storytelling. Every brand's got something unique, different to offer. And I think it's just, and people are thirsty for education and there's a lot that comes with whiskey in that category. So I think um, once we get them in the door, they'll stay there in some capacity, no matter what. And so, but you know, it's going to be organic and it's going to be on their timeline and um, we're just glad to be part of it. And and, and it, is your supply okay? Because I know this stuff takes uh, years to, to lay down. I don't want to jinx it, but yeah. So like, you know, there's mixed emotions with your supply being okay. Right. It's like, yes, we've got plenty, but you know, we're seeing great demand for it. Um, we would not roll it out to a market if we didn't think we could service it properly. That's very, very important to us. People make space in their warehouses. People make space on their shelves. Um, you, you need to be consistent and you need to be there to support it. You need to be there to support the retailer and make sure that we're helping move the product and educating the consumer. So, uh, we wouldn't open up a market unless we were confident that we could service it properly. Well, well, that's great. Well, th uh, uh, thanks for being on. I, I appreciate it. That's very fascinating. Yeah, thanks, Brian, and you know, good luck with the with the rollout. I'm excited to try them. Yes, please. Uh, we'll, we we need you. We'll look forward to your feedback. Thank you very much for the opportunity and have a good All right, take care, guys. Biscuit says thanks, goodbye. Rough. <laughs> <Just Lord. laughs>
Did I just say that? Now I'm gonna have to edit, edit it out. out. <laughs> All right, we'll just do, we'll do it. We'll do it in post. It's all about post.